The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. All right, welcome to another episode of the Story World Podcast here with my boy, Al. How's it going, man? It's going well. How are you doing, Steve? Sweet, man. I'm pumped, actually, because we're talking about something that's near and dear to my heart. We're talking all about marketing and why stories sell, which is just so cool. I can't wait to dive into this because it's just, it's my passion. It's what I live for every day. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be an exciting topic, I think. And I think you'll have some good things to interject and questions to ask. So it'll be good. Yeah, this is interesting because uh, just a little uh, background on me. I, when I went to college, I took a variety of business degrees, finance, accounting, speech, and one of them is marketing. And I don't know what it is. I, the marketing, sales, advertising side of things is the lowest on my level of interest. It is at the very bottom and I have never enjoyed it. So I'm hoping that you can bring to life the advertising marketing side of it and specifically how stories play into that, what type of maybe stories advertising can tell and different things to go with that. So I I am genuinely, genuinely interested in hearing from you tonight. I think it'll be good. I think I'll learn something and I definitely, even though I don't know much about the the science behind the marketing and directly, I could probably make some dots connect about how stories can help out with there. I, one thing yeah. I do know is I do know what advertisements I have enjoyed in the past and which ones I have absolutely not. <laughs> so why don't you kick things off and tell us about seeing an advertisement? What does it tell sure. you? How do you make a good one? Bring yeah. into it. Very good. The quick two minute setup to all this is that uh, a lot of people getting into the business here of marketing and stuff, they don't realize that advertising, marketing, and selling are actually three different things. They're related, but they are different in the way that you would traditionally think about them. So traditionally, advertising is going to be your posters, your your bus stop things, your side of the on the side of the road, your your signs that you see going down the highway, your billboards and stuff, your TV commercials and, and things like that. That is more broadly what is what is known as advertising. And it it is a a it's usually built on the idea of brand instead of direct response. You're and usually big companies with big marketing and advertising budgets are the kinds of people who can afford uh that to do that kind of marketing. Okay, marketing itself is really just the act of attracting people to your business. And so the part of marketing that is not advertising and brand building is what we might call direct response or direct marketing. And the idea is that in every piece of marketing collateral, you're introducing tracking, you're introducing measurement, you are whatever, anytime you spend a dollar to do the marketing, you're trying to see a pretty immediate return of two to 20 to 200. Right. For every for every dollar that you spend, you want to see immediate money coming back. And then sales is the deeper layer of that. For example, marketing and advertising, but not not typically advertising. It's really more the kind of marketing I'm talking about would maybe get you to a consultation call. And then once you're on that consultation call, you're no longer doing marketing. Now you're selling. And there's a whole when you're selling, there's a whole set of different rules and 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 context and things floating around in your mind that will go into those conversations. So, if we zoom back to the beginning and, and talk, you know, about advertising first. I will caveat in that this is the area of marketing that I am the least interested in. 
Um, and therefore, I know the least about it in the sense of what makes a good ad. Well, in a sense, what makes a good ad is the same thing that makes a good story, which we talked about in the last episode, right? So when you're watching a TV commercial, it's, it's going to be that relatability, that believability, the the underdog winning or whatever. It's going to be being able to defeat the villain of the story. Like all of these elements are in play in commercials. In fact, we talked about commercials like the Mayhem, Progressive Commercial, et cetera, right? Like we talked about those. And so in advertising, it's really more of that, of those attention grabbing, what, what I call sort of nano stories, because you really only have a split second to make an impact. You do see longer TV commercials and stuff, but when you're just hitting the brand metrics and you're not calling for a response, if you're Charmin running a Facebook ad, you've only got a second while somebody is scrolling past that to make an impact. And if you're doing more direct response marketing, you might be trying to make such an impact with that that they click and go to a page and take an action there. Whereas if you're Charmin, the next action might just be that they click and land on your generic homepage. And so you're really trying to actually make your impact inside of the ad itself. And that is really difficult to do. So some, some things I wrote about that are, again, you have a split second to make an impact. Uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. You really have to try to use a picture or use a quickly discernible image or video to make a strong point. It also needs to make you think, but not too hard. Right. Like, um, like the when best, you're talking about advertisements, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Are you really focusing on, uh, I guess when I hear the word advertisement, two things come to mind. One, I think of a billboard or a flyer or like an advertisement on YouTube that has the title mm -hmm. of a company with like picture of someone reading a book or something. But then I also think of a 30 second advertisement on TV. So are you exactly. addressing talking about all, all of, of it? Okay. Yeah. Yep. I'm basically addressing all of those. And so it needs to make you think, but not too hard. And depending on, in some of these contexts, you're going to have three seconds. In others, you might have the 30 seconds. It, it's, I'm thinking of myself watching 24 on Prime Video, which already has minimal commercials and everything. What happens to me who likes marketing and advertising? The first second a commercial comes on, Literally, the first thing I do, what do you do? Do you pull out your phone and look at Facebook or whatever, start scrolling? That's what I do. Yeah. Yep. You pass the time because who's interested? That's exactly. So, so in order for me to even see one of those commercials, number one, they got to spend a ton of money because guess what they have to do? They have to run the commercial seven to 10 times. If they're lucky on the sixth time, you'll hear something about the commercial that was intriguing enough to think, oh, next time that commercial comes on, I'm going to watch it. And then maybe on that seventh time or whatever, you actually watch it and it's, oh, ha, ha, I get it or whatever. But then after you watch it, now I've had this happen too. Sometimes the payoff is good. Sometimes the payoff is not good. And so it, so then it's, you have a perception now of this brand. It's, oh, I got pissed off because they wasted my time. Finally, on the second time, I gave them my 30 seconds and it sucked. I want my 30 seconds back. Or it invokes one of the responses that I was going to just talk about, which is it either makes you go, ah, like that was clever. There was one earlier tonight that I can't remember exactly what it was. It obviously wasn't that memorable, but it was clever. I looked over at Tiffany. I was like, ah, I see what they did there. That was good. And then, or ads that give you an epiphany. What's a good example of what I think back to the old, the old tobacco ads and the, the ads that are, oh, ad council ads. Have you ever seen one actually done by the ad council, which they're usually like very emotional, very heartstrings. Like the last one I remember seeing was texting by driving, texting while driving and so those are typically really impactful. So they give you an epiphany of some sort. And so it has to either make you go, ah, uh, or give you an epiphany. Now, I have a little bit more to say about that, but any thoughts or other questions? That have come yeah, up? I have a few. So as far as what you said, like the, the serious ones about texting while driving, sometimes they'll show like an accident or someone yeah. in the hospital bed. I think a lot of times those are, at least just from me observing, those are very effective when you start out the commercial. And you have no idea what it's going to be about because so most of the time, I would say the majority of the time, yeah, definitely the majority of the time when a commercial starts, you pretty much know what it's going to be about right off the bat. 
usually you'll see like a Bud Light can or you'll see a Doritos bag or you pretty much know within the first couple seconds what it's going to be, which you said you want to get to quickly. But if there's a commercial that starts with three or four teens driving in the car or and then like the radio's going and a kid's reading a book or something, I, I don't quite know what the commercial's about yet. And then something tragic happens and it already has you hooked. And then when that happens, it, it really hits you hard as far as the serious ones goes. So that is, sure. that's one way to really deliver a powerful story because we can all re- relate to if we've lost a loved one or if we have lost a loved one with something along those lines. Yeah. But it goes to the point that you can make all across marketing and that the arguably the most important part of any marketing is your hook. If you can't, if you can't hook, then forget it. Nobody, nobody's going to read the article if they don't make it past the headline. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. Um, I have a couple other more thoughts on advertising and maybe because looking at it as story related, I'm going to give you an example of advertisements that I absolutely, I, I get mad when they come on because they don't make sense to me. And I don't know <laughs> why companies spend millions of dollars on these, but then I'm going to give you an example of ads that I love and, and I'll go not lately, but like in high school, I did this a lot. I would go and YouTube them and watch them and laugh. I would continue to go and literally look up the advertisement because I love yeah. it so much. Advertisements that I don't get are car advertisements yeah. um, for the only ones I can see are maybe the upper class ones. If uh, Mercedes introduces like a new type of luxury car, maybe that people don't know about, or if you're really actually introducing something new, but I do not get car ads where it's a Honda advertising their new Civic coming out next year. Exactly. And I want to know, and most of the time, I know we're getting a little bit away from story territory here, but I guess we aren't because most of the time there's no story there. They're showing mm-hmm. a car driving back and forth, the new 22 yeah. Honda Civic put down 400 bucks, whatever. I don't get those ads because I, I would think that the majority of the time, someone who needs to buy a car, it does anyone like impulsively buy a car from watching a car ad? I don't know. You tell me your thoughts yeah. on that. I don't okay. understand car commercials. I w- yeah, I love this. I, so I don't understand most car commercials either. <laughs> Good. I'm glad right. you're in the same line as me. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, there are two, though, that are, that ha- that there's something there. And I'll tell you why. Let me, all right, pop quiz first, okay? Now, if you fail this, I'm going to be really upset. Okay? I probably will. All right, all right, all right. Finish this sentence. <clears throat> oh, no. Ready? Yeah. Love. That's what makes. Love. That's what makes. I don't know. You don't know? Have you ever okay. seen a Subaru car commercial? Yes. Love. That's what makes Subaru a Subaru. They say, that's yep. You say, now do you get it right? Um, yeah. So they do car commercials differently. They are pulling out. That is different. That is different. Their most, their, their most recent car commercials are there's this whole sing song theme going throughout them. <clears throat> and w- what they're doing is trying to induce the sense of community. And a right there, what really what they're doing is they're calling out to their core sort of customer. What, what they're doing is they're saying, if you're this kind of person, then the Subaru is for you. Now, other people will buy them, but they're doing the right thing in that they are calling out their audience. If you're the kind of person that identifies with that commercial, then you're going to go buy the thing. By the way, why do the truck ads always have a micro sounding guy, right? Hey. Because if you think of yourself as that guy, Bill Ford, you know, whatever. I don't yeah, have a, right. the girliest voice ever, so I can't get there. But you see what I'm saying, though. So that makes a little bit more sense. There's another one that actually was done with the actual story brand framework that I mentioned last on the on, on the last episode, and that is Lincoln. If you remember, for a while there, Lincoln used Matthew McConaughey in their commercials. He never were- said anything. You remember? Yeah. Do, do you remember those? No, okay. Those, I, now that you refresh my memory, those were actually very effective. I, I enjoyed those commercials. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Now, he, he never said anything, okay? Never one time did he say anything. But what middle-aged dude doesn't want the same sort of whatever, um, for, or sex appeal, frankly, or whatever, that comes with being Matthew Guy? It, it works because... Um, it, it tells a subtle story. It shows, I, I think I've pictured, yeah. right? The guy's like getting ready in the house, putting on a watch or something, getting in the car. And it shows a, yeah, yeah. Like a sophisticated kind of look to it. And well, it, yeah. it's, it, so when you put someone who's, obviously there's a lot of people who don't like him, but whether it's a 
Keanu Reeves or Jeff Goldblum or uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey, people who are generally well liked, just kind of cool guys. You're that's you're gonna be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is telling. Yeah, it's a hundred percent telling a nonverbal story. In that case, it, it's it's very much communicating the the idea that Matthew McConaughey drives our vehicle. You want to be like Matthew McConaughey. You are the hero. We are the guide. We can guide you into that Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. thing. And so you go to the Lincoln dealership. Now, the, the cool thing about that is my understanding of that whole situation is prior to that marketing and advertising campaign, like Lincoln was like going under. They were really losing out. Like I think right. Ford yeah. was about to have to discontinue them and everything. Yep. And my under, again, my understanding of the situation is that ad campaign literally saved their business because what did they do? They called out their customer. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, oh, this is the car for everybody. Now, do middle-aged grandmas buy go buy Lincolns? Sure. But their customer is is the Matthew McConaughey wannabe. And they called that person out. That's why in marketing and advertising, this is the lesson. There is the only thing more important than your hook <clears throat> is who your customer is. If you don't know who they are, then you will never make an impact because you will die in a sea of obscurity. So regular, yeah, exactly. Car regular old car commercials talking about their discounts and the money down and stuff. With I don't. That's just in my opinion. That is a waste of money. I, I can't imagine that. It makes them. How do I word this? It can't bring in very many new customers, if any at all. I'm thinking that. And maybe you agree with me or not. The the only reason that I can see for a commercial like that is for them simply just to stay relevant awareness. in the minds yep. of others. Awareness. awareness. Uh, it, exactly I, right. Because it's probably more beneficial for Honda to put out an advertisement of the new Civics coming out than just not. Exactly. Because eventually you'll forget about, oh, I saw the commercial for the new Ford Fusion. I'll go down to the Ford dealership. Maybe we're interested. I guess at the very least, it just keeps you in the keeps it in the mind of people looking for cars got to be the only reason and there's a place for that but it's really but that's a really like for example even if you send a month if you're building an email list if you have a business and you send a monthly newsletter even if somebody doesn't read your email as if they, as long as they saw your subject your name and the subject line yep. in the inbox that's good that's relevance but it's just so expensive to do that with a commercial yeah, like that so and i guess it's just when you have more money than God, like these car companies do, you can afford to do that. But most small businesses, yeah. even making millions and millions of yeah. dollars, still can't afford that. Yep, yeah. absolutely. I'm going to go ahead with something else for advertisements, stuff that I love. And maybe it's just, maybe it's down to personality. I don't know if it's effective generally or just for certain people. But I honestly, if an advertisement is funny, that's what does it for me. It's humor. I, I think that humor. I could be wrong, but unless it's obviously a serious matter you're talking about, if it's anything from just simple and plain or something that's supposed to be funny, if you can make someone laugh at it, that to me, I would think would be the most effective thing that you can do. I, again, the thing that I think of is is the mayhem guy. I love those commercials. Yeah. It tells the story. You can picture him being this funny raccoon and you see him as that grown up guy messing with the insulation and everything. And it's Yeah, so- yeah, yeah. Funny and honestly, to be honest, I don't even know. Who, oh, I do know who our car insurance is, but <clears throat> if I'm like looking for a new product I haven't had before, like if I'm a college student getting my first car, or high school student, and I'm getting my own insurance, I'd think, you know what, those commercials are pretty funny. Let me just see what their prices are. I just think that there's such a big link between humor, remembering something, and being able to do that. Another things off the top of my head are like Old Spice. The Old Spice commercials are so yeah. funny too. Yeah, and just. Uh, any commercial that can make me laugh, I, I think it is a win. I think if you could do that. So I, now, aside from serious topics like texting and driving or uh, poverty or something like that, do you see a reason why just a normal advertising for a normal company, whether it's semi-serious or normal, wouldn't want to incorporate some sort of humor into it to capture people's attention? Would it just be like, I don't know. What are your kind of thoughts on using humor yeah. and overusing it when not to and when to use it for telling a story or getting the people's attention? You know, everything you do these days can be fairly targeted, especially with like over the top, whatever they call it, over the top TV services like, you know, sling and stuff like that. And so you can literally say, don't show my ad during this show. Do show it five times during this show. 
You can right. literally be that targeted with a lot yeah. of these things, right? <laughs> and so I think they're, I think in the middle of a very serious show or something, you probably wouldn't want a humorous ad to play. On the car insurance front, again, another I think of is Progressive for two reasons. They, there, there are two campaigns with Progressive that I think are funny. Number one, who doesn't love Flo? She's literally like one of the highest paid people on television. <laughs> literally. She is literally one of the highest pay, paid people on TV. And it, who just, who doesn't love Flo? But then they also have this campaign going recently where, oh, what is the hook? The hook is some, it's not really a hook because it comes at the end, but like the, it's a funny commercial. The idea is that we can't change who your parents are, but what we can change yeah, is, that new, you, know what, you know what I'm talking those about? Those are great. Yeah. Those are great. Because every, everyone awesome. can identify yeah. with aging and make in front of your parents. And then be exactly, even though it's a, a long time exactly. joke, it's still. So that, so I think in terms of humor, yes, by the way, I, I get wrapped in with, with, with humorous commercials. But they have to be actually funny. There are some that try really hard but aren't. They have to be actually funny. But but I, I like, and maybe it's because I'm a dad, and so I love dad jokes, but I'm a sucker for the kind of humor that latches on to a random concept like that, but then provides its solution as, as some sort of odd alternative. Now, what's crazy about that is right, I'm a big... Yeah, on one side, I'm the emotional like story guy. On the other side, I'm very much the logic, argumentation, philosophy, modus ponens, modus tollens. Like, let's make sure we have a valid and sound argument kind of guy. And those commercials are actually a, what would be called a non sequitur or a red herring in some cases, depending on how you're looking at it. But it's like the conclusion doesn't follow from the pre Like, it doesn't, okay, I can't change who you're, your parents but I can help you get in you better car insurance. Like those two things are unrelated, but that's part of the humor. And so I, for some reason, I'm a sucker for any time they can do that. Geico does this, I think as well, right? Uh, where, where it's, we, we, we can't do this, but we can save you 15% on your yeah. car insurance. Yeah. I love how they latch on to that. And in fact, is it a guy, is that, is it a Geico commercial, the parents thing? Or is it, I can't remember if it's Geico I, or progressive, but mm -hmm. regardless, I think they both I don't think do it's Geico. Yeah. They probably do. Yeah. They might level. both do this a little bit. It's yeah. maybe a little different, but anyway, so that's what I would say about that. I'm with you on comedy and, and advertising. It, it has to be done and it does have to be contextual, <laughs> but I mean, very effective. Yeah. When, when it is that way. Excellent. Awesome. That was a good discussion there. Yeah. I don't. I never, I know what I like and what I don't like about advertising, but never really, yeah. you know. My, my problem is though, it. it's just so, it, it's just so mushy. Like I, that the, everything that we talked about, even these good ads and everything else that we identify with, they all are banking on the fact that one day I'm going to leave my current provider and go with and 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 I'm going to think of them because I thought of the funny commercial. Will that happen? Maybe, but that this is all a guess. It's all banking. It's all we've got a marketing budget to spend. Let's spend it. I, and I'll just reiterate again: small businesses can't operate this way. They just right. can't. So, yep, gotcha. Awesome. I know that unless you have anything else said, that kind of covers the actual advertising of it. Now we'll keep going down the rabbit hole and move on to. Marketing, and I know that you had said it yourself, but I say you view it as, but it's probably how it's supposed to be viewed as. And I like the concept of marketing is really, if you're a single business owner or it, looking at that terms, marketing is really promoting yourself and selling yourself to people, correct? Or am I wrong there? Yeah, kind of. It is, you are selling yourself um, or your services or your products, but in a sense, you're doing mental jujitsu to make people sell you, okay? The movie Inception, you are, I'm sure, quite familiar with. And so yes. one, of the, one of the biggest, like, rookie copywriter, because sale, marketing, is really just copywriting. It, yeah, it takes different forms. Like it, 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 There's different media delivery, but it's all just words, okay? It, it's even the picture, like, it's really all just boils down to words. Pictures matter a little bit but it's mostly words. And so it all boils down to copywriting. And so one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of people make is telling people what to think rather than guiding them into their own conclusion. And you guys know, especially anybody who's married 
can identify with this. And I would tell my wife this to her face because I think it goes both ways. I think I do this to my wife and she probably does this to me. Disclaimer, husbands listening, we're not giving out marital advice. This might be uh, poor advice that Steve is about to present. It might be poor (laughs) advice. This is true. Use it at your own discretion. But we all know that feeling of there's not really any buy-in until it's their idea, right? Like once, like I could tell my wife to do something until she's blue in the face, but until she's ready to do it, it's not going to happen. And by the way, I'll self whatever, self denigrate or whatever here, or at least just admit my flaws, but I'm the same way. I mean, people told me for years and years, my entire life that I needed to lose weight or I was going to die and I was going to be on blood pressure medication and I was going to be on this and I was going to get diabetes and this, that, and the other thing. And it just kind of went in one ear and out the other while everybody else was telling me about it. I didn't make the change until I believed it myself. And I felt it myself that I needed to make that change. One day it comes around in 2015 where I get on the roller coaster and I don't fit and I have to do the walk of shame. And it's like, okay, that sucked. I don't want to do that ever again. So I went on keto and, you know, completely changed my life. And am I perfect at it today? No, but that's not the point. I'm still, I was telling you earlier that I'm back on a good regimen of, of diet, at least for a little while. I've got a good goal set. But like at one point I was almost 300 pounds and I'm now not, right? And so it's a big difference. And nobody could tell me that I needed to do that in a strong enough way to get me to, to take the action until I believed it myself. And so when you're doing like hardcore marketing and sales, that's a lot of what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to to have the idea, to have the epiphany for themselves. And so one of my favorite marketers, uh, Russell Brunson, I'll, I'll probably say his name often. The reason why I, I love, I feel like I should disclaim this because I will say his name often at different points of time throughout the podcast. <laughs> um is what's interesting is there are guys, so Russell Brunson is one in the marketing world, in the biblical studies world, Michael Heiser is is one that I cling to for these reasons. They are seen as scholars or experts or whatever in their industry, but a lot of what they do is merely synthesizing other people's data and repackaging it in a way that makes sense. So when I say Russell Brunson, I'm, I'm plugging into a set of ideas from a bunch of people in the past whose data he synthesizes and gives them credit for. So I could go, I could say Dan Kennedy or Ben Settle, or I could go through all these other names. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is the way Russell tends to repackage their information is in the concept of epiphany. And again, to give credit where it's due, I'm pretty sure that he got that actual concept from a guy named David Smith, who is another marketer who talks about this. And the idea is that in your storytelling that you're doing with with marketing, the idea is always that you want to give people an epiphany of their own. So whatever epiphany you had, what you're trying to do is tell people that story. You're not trying to say, hey, buy my thing. It's really going to help. You're trying to say, hey, I was like this. I was like you. I was depressed. I was lonely. I was whatever. And then I discovered magic bullet thing and it changed my life forever. And when I discovered magic bullet thing, it changed my life forever. I knew that if I just did this one little thing to it, that I could help a whole bunch of people. And so you have like your origin story and you have what Russell calls your epiphany bridge story. So your origin story is, hey, this is who I am. This is my backstory. This is how I found myself in this situation. And your epiphany bridge story is... Hey, I had this scenario. I was in this situation. I had, boom, the epiphany. I created the thing, changed my life. Now let me tell you about the thing. So to get more, even more practical, when he is teaching a framework to somebody, um, the his framework for teaching frameworks, I think I wrote it down actually somewhere on my notes here, goes like this. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, it goes like this. The first is the story of how they learned or earned the framework. And you never want to try to teach somebody without showing them what the lesson cost you because then they don't have any buy-in. So after you tell the story of how it was learned or earned, then you get into the strategy, then the tactics, then you can use testimonials and case studies about how other people have done that. So that's the broad landscape. There are other things with, with marketing that we can get into. The hero's journey is a big part of the marketing landscape. 
We could talk about some of the tactical things like email and, and, and copywriting. But we did talk about the epiphany stories, like the origin story and the epiphany bridge story. And, and there's one more before I let you you come in that I want to talk about, and that's the chains of false belief. So most people have right their their first reaction to a new thing that somebody is trying to sell them or market to them or introduce into their life is a negative one. It is a it's a natural human reaction that says, hey, whoa, that's a little new for me. I'm comfortable over here. So I'm going to resort back to my comfort because you're trying to make me uncomfortable with this new thing. Get it out of here. I want to be comfortable. And usually that comfort <laughs> relates to chains of false belief that they have around the particular product or service, whatever it is. And so this is going to sound similar to some of what we talked about last week, but most people have chains of false belief around the vehicle, which is the, the new opportunity that you're trying to sell them into. They have external problems, which is, I, I, I think there are external factors that are going to keep me from being successful with said product or service. And then the internal, it's, I don't know that I am good enough to be able to accomplish this thing that you're telling me about. So in any sort of marketing collateral, what you're always trying to do is tell stories that help people break those chains of false belief. So that's the landscape of marketing versus just advertising. It's interesting how you brought up that you don't want to tell people what they should do or how they should feel about something, but you should show them through your story or mm -hmm. an experience or the cost that you had to go through because there's, it's almost like it, it's almost uh, stated too many times and people just accept it as yeah, yeah, whatever, but it's true in writing. It's the number one rule is to show, don't tell. Um, yeah. So you're supposed to show the anger that someone has not tell the reader, this person is angry now. Oh. And I just thought that's interesting how that relates yeah, um, I had a thought. I probably should have written it down. While you're thinking about it, I'll riff on yeah. something. Yeah, go for it. On that real quick. And that is that I just had a good conversation with a client of mine about this yesterday. And it's this idea that most people are selling using logic. And that's it. And usually it's because of what we call the curse of knowledge. People are so close to what they sell, what they offer. And the, the stories are baked into their own psyche. And they think that if they tell their story one time, everybody in the world has heard it. And they should never tell it again. The fact is the opposite is true. Think about it. A comedian doesn't just get up on whatever stand-up show on Comedy Central his first time and have a knockout performance. He has gone through years of grueling experiences in nightclubs and comedy bars, perfecting his act. And you get to hear the polished thing at the end. You didn't hear how long it took him telling those same stories over and over and over again to get them right and to figure out how they resonate with the audience. Multiple times I have told the pastor on the porn site story that uh, what I call, which is the story of how when I first got into website design, I one of the big mistakes I made was not helping clients go long-term. And I'm, I'm very much shortening it and not telling it for dramatic effect. I'm just, I'm just telling you what the story is, right? And the story is, yeah, pastor got his, his church website infected with a porn site and it was like super embarrassing and he was a friend and it was like really awful. And so my reason for telling that story is so that the person understands how I learned the lesson that led me to wanting to charge people on an ongoing basis rather than just asking for a big chunk of money up front. So this is more in the sales department, but that is a story that is a, a story from my past that is directly relatable about how I earned the right to charge <coughs> monthly for a website instead of the other. And so the point I'm getting to is in sales, about 50% of buyers buy for emotion, emotional reasons, about 25% buy for logical reasons, and another 25% buy for fear-based reasons, which would be urgency, hey, buy now, or scarcity, there's only 10 left, or that kind of thing. So most people are only selling to the external problem, like we talked about before, which is the logical justification of things, 
But the internal problem and the emotional side of things is how 50% of buyers make their decisions. So back to the car commercials who are not doing the Matthew McConaughey thing or the love, that would make Subaru thing, they're missing out on the potential, at least for their their core audience, to to get that emotional buy. Honda is not inducing any emotional strings other than hatred in people like you who hate these commercials with their car ads for a, a Labor Day sale or just whatever. It's yeah. the people who are doing the emotional sales that are winning. It seems like, too, when you can combine a picture to someone and provide a story that satisfies both, which I say, the emotional side as well as the practical side. I'm probably getting this a little off, but it was either in the 60s or 70s. It probably makes sense if it was the 60s. It could even been 50s. Around that time, Ford came out with, I think it was Ford came out with an advertisement about being a two-car family because their cars were affordable. So that was um, practical. They were affordable so that you could afford two vehicles. And two, your family would have two cars. The emotional kind of playing with that. So if you were, I didn't grow up in the 50s or 60s, but I might heard stories about my dad, how he grew up with vehicle situations and everything. I could picture how if you're someone who was on that verge of being able to afford a second car, having that picture in your mind, wow, I could be driving here then my wife or husband could take the kids here and we'd have two cars parked out front and we can afford it. Playing off of that too and creating a picture of what kind of story that would tell and mm-hmm. bringing that to life. So we call that in marketing a an identity transformation. Giving people an identity, right? So that was genius on their part. A two-car family. It's something you could live into. Okay, Russell Brunson, his company is called Click Funnels. What he teaches you is that instead of a website, you need a sales funnel. Okay, that's the the bottom line. And so when people come into his community, they give him a t-shirt, the whole nine yards, and they're a funnel hacker. And that's what they become now. That's the name for it. Right? You become a funnel hacker. And so what is that identity transformation that you can give your perfect client or your perfect customer? That is that is the name of the game. And so anytime you can, there's a whole talk on this that was done by a, a, a lady. Her name is Kaylin Poland. Her and her husband have a company called Lady Boss Weight Loss. And before that, it was some random, forgettable, generic name thing and they weren't getting anywhere they renamed the company to lady boss weight loss everybody that comes into the company gets an immediate identity shift of they're now a lady boss and that means something right so there's a whole manifesto for that there's actually there's merch for that there's paraphernalia for that totally transformed their business they've got at the last time i remember hearing it's probably way more than this now they had thirty thousand active paying active members in their business. Brocks, that is unheard of numbers, right? That is just huge. And the whole identity is, man, they gave them a transformation. They gave them something to be. And so yeah. that, that is a huge factor in marketing that most people are, are missing out on. I'm trying to do this a little bit in my business as well right now. I'm working on some things to eventually get there, but it's well, Salesforce. I don't know if you've ever heard of Salesforce. They are a very large software company who basically invented the category of the online CRM, customer relationship category, um, relationship manager. They have this big event out in California every year called Dreamforce. And they've done this well. They have this whole like camping theme and everything that goes on in this. Literally, they take over the city, whatever city it's in. And they have these partner companies or whatever that they work with. And when you get that status, you become a trailblazer, right? So they're giving people status and identity. And that is, I'm glad you, I'm sorry to to rabbit trail on that so deep, but it's a huge point that you brought up. It's something that, man, if you can successfully implement this in a business, it's gigantic for your growth and branding. Another example, though, where it obviously didn't hurt them in the long run, but really put a bump in the road for them. You're probably familiar with this commercial because you like Apple so much, but maybe not. I just found out about it, I don't know, the last year. Whereas Ford did excellent with the two-car family. Just, it just, I don't know, that's a, what a great thing that they slipped into there. I think it was in the 80s, Apple had one of their first commercials. I don't know what this one was, but it took off and it was really good and People bought into it. But then the second kind of big one they made, they were going for telling the story of becoming like the new modern yeah. businessman. And it showed your traditional black suit, black tie, worker with a briefcase going to work. And there were lines of people just like walking off a cliff. And I don't know 
it wasn't a phone. I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a computer or something that some guy held up and everyone thought, oh, wow. And they stopped walking off the cliffs and they thought that it would be good advertisement, but it backfired and everyone had the sentiment of saying that their customers or who they're marketing to were stupid and they right. were just doing the day in and day out. So like uh, an advertisement that really tried to shift, try to change people's kind of identity and step into something. Yeah. Really backfired. So that's right. You well, could they, almost the, the idea you could see how that might work. I could see why they would think it's a good idea to put the television, but then the, in actuality, it just didn't work. I would say probably Apple's two most successful marketing moments were the first one, which was the 1984 commercial, which is what you're referring to. It basically yeah. created the category of Super Bowl ads. I was actually going to even mention that earlier, but uh, it didn't really fit in where the discussion was going. Yeah, the Think Different ad of 1984 basically like defined advertising for yeah. quite a while. It's, it's arguably it's still very influential today. The time when Apple successfully pulled the identity transformation card. By the way, you're probably talking about a commercial for, I could be wrong with it, but it might've been the Newton, their like Palm Pilot sort of predecessor thing. It was it was something that you held in your hand. Yeah, yeah. it was probably the Apple uh, Newton, yeah. which was not very <laughs> successful. It, yeah, less, yeah, if you can imagine something less successful than the Microsoft Zune, it was the Apple Newton. And But they did do this very successfully in the early 2000s, early mid 2000s with the Mac versus PC commercials with what's his name justin schneider or whatever his name is where you had the really cool mac he was the guy who was the mac and then you had the really yeah, crazy guy i forgot the, about those was commercials. The yes. yep yep in that sense yes. you were becoming it was a genius campaign and they they, they milked that for a long time with a different renditions of that yeah. commercial but yeah <clears throat> you were the cool guy you were the mac and and so I you were literally becoming those. the mac if you bought into if you bought a mac you were becoming the mac that was a yeah. genius thing. I bet they would have kept was. running it if it wasn't for the fact that it was probably just getting super old and they had to do something different. I was too young then to really buy my own computer, even have my parents get me one at the time. Yeah. But look at recalling those commercials now. If they would have just come up with a normal advertisement and not created that, man, I would just, I think that a commercial like that probably gave them a huge amount of business and people converting over to Mac. It was just, it was so good and so effective. The only other computer at all that I can remember being near as impactful in terms of my actually being able to remember it is the dude get a Dell commercials. I don't know if you remember back, <laughs> yeah. back in the dude, day. Get dude, Dell. get a Dell. Yeah. Like, now yeah. they had nothing to go on in terms of the actual computer itself to right. to be to warrant that sort of response or that sort of ad, uh, but it worked. The guy was cool and whatever. It was good advertising for, in my opinion, a crappy product. But anyway, moving on to sales, your third kind of uh, separate piece of the whole marketing shishkabang, and maybe you have a little introduction into it. But can you explain what story selling is? Yeah, yeah. So story selling is we've hinted at it a little bit, but let me just dig deeper. Story selling is just capitalizing on the idea that you're always starting with a story. Okay, I'm going to go back to Russell Brunson again. I've heard thousands at this point of interviews <laughs> that he does with people and just different podcasts and things. I have never heard him launch into giving advice. Literally never one time have I heard somebody set him up with a question <clears throat> or him start a podcast episode or whatever where he was set up, where he just dove in and started telling what he thought. Practical example, even I've watched many of his actual paid you know, courses and programs and a lot of times there'll be like a live Q&A as part of it. And you, I'm talking about just question after question that people ask. And it's never a straightforward, yeah, this, yeah, that, yeah, this, yeah, that. It's always a story. He starts out something like, I remember this one time and just goes into the story. And what that taught me, number one, it speaks in, in terms of if anytime you can do that, regardless of how good the story is, you automatically show that you're thoughts are based on experience and not theory. So if you can tell a story that immediately grounds people in reality, even if it's your reality and not their reality, it builds that trust factor right away. 
So when you're the pastor porn story that I just told you is a really great example of this. When somebody says, what do you charge for a website? Now, depending on how early they ask me that question, <laughs> I won't even answer them at all. If they ask me too early, I know what they're after and I don't even want to do business with them. But after we've had some good rapport and context and we've talked about things and they understand the benefits and things, then I said, what do you charge? I never answer that question with, I charge X, but whatever that is. I never answer the question that way. I always answer the question with, let me tell you, when I first got into web design and I go into the pastor porn story and I tell them about that because I want them to understand that I am choosing to transact with them the way that I am for a reason that is based in reality. I didn't just make it up. And so that's what story selling is. Story selling is essentially the discipline in a sales conversation or in a sales presentation of always attaching, always attaching either your story or somebody else's story, depending on the context, preferably somebody who has seen results underneath of what you're trying to sell. Either your story, somebody else's story, or a combination of the two should go into framing every individual piece of the sales conversation, as well as answering questions, et cetera. And so <clears throat> literally you should build, if you're listening right now and you're in business of any kind, you should be building what we'd call a story inventory. You should be keeping track of your stories. Now, some people choose to go even further and document like me. Why do I have five podcasts? Yeah, some of them end up just being teaching things, but nearly always and especially anytime I'm intentionally thinking about it and remember to do so, I ground them in a story. Oftentimes, the story happens to me and that prompts the lesson. For example, as we have been recording things in the last episode that we recorded, which, spoiler alert, we're, we're recording to back right now, so surprise. No, whenever. we do this every, once a week. One. <laughs> uh, yeah, pulling back the curtain a little bit. So in the last episode, we talked about the concept of payoff. You might remember this. I wrote down in my notes, payoff in marketing. Now, what I'm going to do is translate that into my running list of topics that I keep for podcast topics. and. When I go to tell that, when I go to to present that idea, even if I don't have the, all the things buttoned down about that yet, like a lot of times I like to just present the idea and say what I'm thinking and get people involved in it. I'm not going to start with, here's what I know about pay, the concept of payoff. I'm going to start with, so the other night I was recording a podcast with my buddy Alex and we were talking about the different things that we found made a story like really compelling. What makes What is it that makes a story something that stands out or that, that that is a good element of, of every story. And Alex, he talked about the concept of payoff. And at that moment, I was like, oh, like I had a huge epiphany. And the epiphany was, what if we could give somebody a payoff? See, now you see the difference. Now they're invested because I've reeled them into my world of, oh my gosh, what was that epiphany that he had? He, ha I have to know. And so now they're going to listen to the rest of the thing or whatever. I'm going to get their buy <clears throat> and, and go from there. So yeah. That is story selling, whether it's for an actual physical product or whatever at the moment, or whether it's an idea. Even if you're just trying to sell an idea, it should always be baked and, and shrouded in the context of a story. And if you just think about intentionally keeping a story inventory, you would be surprised. Stuff is literally happening to you all day, every day that can be translated into tangible lessons that you can teach people as it relates to what you're selling or just trying to 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 get across to people. I mean, you, if for people listening who made it to the end of this podcast, I think that's some very helpful insight into story selling because I mean, we already know that with stories, people can you know, relate to each other, can relate to stories, especially when they're grounded in reality and actuality. So when you can really explain, even if it's not an actual story. Hey, this happened yesterday. What you were just saying about how you learned, uh, not learned, but we're talking about payoff and you were doing this and it's more of a situation than a story, but it still puts that person into your mind and, and it grasps them. Even if it's not racking, it's still, oh, I wonder what he learned. And then when you say, here's my eureka moment, I was thinking how I could apply something simple, a payoff to marketing. And they go, oh, that does make sense. Even someone who's maybe not necessarily interested in marketing, just to see you have that thought and putting it together, 
they feel excited for you and that gets them to mm-hmm. us, you know, sympathize or empathize or join in your happiness as well. It's a combination of all that. Yeah. It's, let me show one more practical run- yeah. Brunson example. Why not? Wait, who? I've never heard of this guy. Yeah. Shut up. So like in, in his, one of the things he offers as a bonus to one of his things he sells is a, a whole course called Traffic Secrets. And okay, great. This is a course that is going to teach you how to get more traffic for your website. Fantastic. Okay. Obviously, he doesn't present it that way when he's, when he is like, okay. He tells the story of how Traffic Secrets was bought by or was originally owned by a guy named John something. His name is on tip of my tongue, but I can't remember. John something. And this John something has a, a fantastic story in that he was the first person in the online marketing space to break the milestone, the four minute mile, so to speak, if you've ever heard that old story yep. of the internet marketing um, world, when he sold a million dollars worth of his course in one day, that was like unheard of at the time. He was the first one to do it. The course was the the first version of Traffic Secrets. And it had since gone a little bit out of date. And so it needed some updating and stuff. But basically, Russell Brunson wanted to add this Traffic Secrets course as a bonus onto what he was offering. So he literally wrote the guy a check for whatever it was. Let's say it was a million bucks. Wrote the guy a check for a million bucks to buy Traffic Secrets from him. So now when he's selling from stage, he he gets to say, oh, yeah, but not only, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to throw this in because you need traffic. He gets to say, he gets to literally show the picture of him signing the paperwork and the check and tell the whole story about how this, who this guy was and how he made the first million dollars in a day and how inspiring it was for Russell because that made him realize that he could break that four-minute mile as well. And he said, I just want you to know I care about you so much and I so very much want you to be successful that I literally gave a million dollars of my own money, bought this course. Look, here's the check. Here's the paperwork as I was signing it or whatever, just so I could give that to you. And and in, in this context, the, the person is getting it for free as a bonus on top of what they're buying. Yeah. So Russell right. gets to tell the story of how he spent a million dollars to give you something for free. That's cool. That's yeah story selling that was in a stage context i told you a a personal one-to-one sales call context but there should always be a story i really that's awesome i think this was a really good discussion especially since it's just not my area of expertise or even interest talking about marketing and sales and everything but especially when you relate it to storytelling and how applicable it is really to success as well just getting into making video game and writing for myself personally, just understanding a little bit more how I want to put, not even necessarily my product at first, but because really there's so many people out there that'll buy a video game. There's so many people out there that'll buy a book, but are they going to want to buy a video game that I made? Or are they going to want to read a book that I made? And so being able to really convert um, that information, whether it's story selling or we were relating to people and having people understand me. Just a lot of good, helpful information there. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. First, the first time that we introduced something new last week was our kind of story of the week or item of the week, podcast of the week. Yeah. We're uh, let Lucy Goosey here and we can bring up whatever we want that kind of piqued our interest during the week. So, Steve, you want to kick it off? Sure. So, for me, it was just this whole... There's a controversy going on right now with that uh, with Joe Rogan and he I mentioned I, he, he's not I'm not a three hour podcast listener kind of guy but I do Joe and I disagree with Joe on quite a bit we are worldviews apart literally but Joe Rogan is willing to do something that not a lot of people are willing to do and that is have a conversation about things that matter no matter where you land on an issue and I think that it's interesting the calls for cancellation from people because Joe Rogan is giving a platform to people who have just had to write speak out as anybody else. And I think the irony to the, the, you know, how does this relate to story? In one sense, it doesn't, right? It's just, a, it's an interesting news piece, but it relates to story in that there's always a, there's this public sort of social contract that we all have that we should be able to communicate and dialogue with one another. And it's interesting how quickly people are willing and ready to break that down when there is disagreement. It's like people don't know how to actually have the conversations anymore. And 
it's interesting that people of certain worldview and political affiliations want to be all about somebody's personal story and all about how, frankly, even I've literally heard people say, and I'm not, I'm not going to like try to quote anybody specifically here, but it's the concept of the facts sure. don't even matter as much as somebody's personal experience. And I don't want to get too controversial on this podcast or else I'm going to go ahead and be more concrete with that. But I think I'm going to leave it there is sometimes people will treat story as more important than the facts of the matter. By the way, story is important, but facts have to back up the story as well. This is why in marketing, we have emotional, an emotional plea with logical justification and then fear-based call to action to get people to act. The emotional thing still has to be backed up with logic, okay? Husband says, I want this freaking Lamborghini. Wife says, <coughs> you don't want it as bad as I want that money to stay in our bank account. So husband has to now logically justify purchase. If no logical justification, no purchase, as long as wife has to say so, right? And so I'm, you know, maybe being a little stereotypical there, but, but the whole point is that the logic and the emotion can't be disconnected. They have to support one another. And so it's interesting when somebody's story is not as valuable as somebody else's story in the minds of some because there is disagreement with respect to the facts of the matter. And I just find it interesting, a little sad in, on one hand, a little not sad on the other hand, because my understanding, unless there, you know, we know how this stuff goes, there could be a, back, a backup on this, but as of right now, and I haven't even elaborated on the story, but basically they're trying to cancel Joe Rogan off of Spotify. And Spotify's CEO, as of right now, as I understand it, is standing up for Joe, <clears throat> standing up for the right to free speech and public discourse. And as of right now, I think the course that is being taken by the appropriate people is legitimate, whether or not it's mostly a financial thing or not. I don't know. I mean, I heard that he's losing billions in stock shares and things right now. Spotify CEO is. Regardless, right now, he seems to still be doing what I would opinion to be the right thing. So anyway, that's my story and um, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and as you brought that up, I was looking up what the Spotify stock price is. <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting. It, it, he's lost some money. It is. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Good, uh, good story though. Good story for the week. Mine is more news related, but it also tells a story too. Have you heard of the new Lord of the Rings posters that have come out for the new Amazon show? Yes, I think. Yes. Did you hear the unique thing about them? No. Okay, great. I, I mean, there's been similar stuff like this, but they purposely did it this way. And it's very interesting. So usually when a movie first drops a poster, like for Batman, it'll show batman's like maybe silhouette against the moon or something or if it's say john wick it'll show keanu reeves staring like deadly at the camera in the dark usually it's typically it shows a person's face or generally gives you an introduction of what the character or setting will be like the lord of the rings amazon tv series that first of all they came up with that first trailer a week or so ago which was incredible i thought it was cgi created i think everyone did but they actually really filmed it and like with actual molten lava and wood and steam and water. And it was wow. Oh, you didn't see it. Oh, we're going to, we'll talk a lot about it after I'll watch it with you. It's incredible. But so this week, and I didn't expect to see anything for a while because it's not coming out till September, but I think it was today. They just dropped posters for Lord of the Rings TV series and it's 17 character posters. The interesting thing about it is they don't show any of the characters faces. They show from, from like the neck or chest down to about the waist. And it's incredible because each of the 17 posters shows very clearly and distinctly. It gives you already a lot of insight to what type of character that person is going to be in the show. And it's very interesting because instead of, I know a lot of movies will display posters of a famous actor to get people attracted to it. Or this is how this person, I don't know, looks or whatever, but instead they focus really kind of on dragging you into, oh, that person is holding this sword and he's wearing this armor. He could be part of this or he could be that person. And it's just really an interesting marketing thing that they did there or advertising, however you want to put it. And it, it keeps getting me more and more excited for the show to come out. So well, it's, it's, very, it's very fitting. It's very fitting that a... It's, it's nice to see them doing things like that because this is a story of such a great caliber that it should defy some categories, should 
ramp up anticipation like that. So that's good. Yeah, so far I've been, even though it's just the marketing side of things, I've been very impressed how they you're, they seem like they are really treating it like it is a very special epic story that they really want to tell. And so I keep getting more and more excited about it. So that's my kind of story for the week. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, man. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. And I, I hope somebody can take what we've talked about today and, and, and apply some things. There are so many additional rabbit trails and bullet points and things that we could have talked about and went down that we did not. We didn't talk at all about email, which is one of my favorite ways to tell stories. And maybe we'll have to dedicate a whole episode to that later. Thanks guys for listening. Really appreciate you being hanging out with us. And this is really fun. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to do this and for, for listening. Thanks everyone. See ya.